Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Even the concept of a code review can make developers cringe. It's difficult to have someone else scrutinize something that you've worked so hard on, especially if it was a difficult task or you're really proud of your solution. For the reviewer, it requires diligence and a lot of extra attention to detail. In both cases, it takes time and can be a pain if the process and goals are not clearly defined. In this episode, we're going to talk about how you can prepare yourself and your team to both be reviewed and be the reviewer. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, um, <laughs> I'm actually supposed to uh, come up with a code review process at work. <laughs> so that's... Uh, Rather good timing on this one. <laughs> um, I'm doing that as I'm on multiple critical projects, and we have, you know, we had a publisher approach me about the book I wrote, you know, wanting to expand it potentially and publish through them. So I'm juggling that. I'm trying to scramble and get stuff done before, uh, you know, the end of the year because, like, I've got what five days left, you know, five working days, and then I'm done until January second, and so. I'm trying to get stuff out of the way before then I'm like writing huge specs. I'm doing project plans. I'm dealing with bugs. I'm managing. I'm, I'm just all over the place right now. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how life is at the moment. So how about you? Well, uh, we're also updating our code review process, uh, specifically for our API developers. That's sort of why this topic was on my mind when picking what to write for this week. Last week, I met with my lead developer and she kind of tasked me with updating our reviews. Previously, we've been doing them as a team and everyone came in with about 10 to 15 minutes of code to talk about uh, and show us, answer questions, and then move on to the next person. We're trying to get everyone through in an hour. And yeah, it's, it's a bit hectic and we're trying to do it in a conference room, they replaced the projector in the conference room and it doesn't work as well with Macs. Plus, it's got like this tiny screen now, so it's really hard to read the code on the projector. It's, it's a pain. And so she wanted to update the process, but wanted me to look into making these sort of online using um, some using something like Visual Studio, Live Share, stuff like that to do our code reviews. And also, she wanted to reduce the overall time of the meetings, so I have to spend more time on individuals' code while reducing the overall meeting time. Managers, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So who are you firing? <laughs> uh, I'm not um, an accountant, but I do think yeah. I can figure that math out. Now, on a less frustrating front, uh, my life has been rather interesting this past week. I've been in my place for almost two weeks now, mostly unpacked, though I'm still working on the office and the spare room. Monday, my fridge stopped working. It was colder in my garage than my fridge. 
So I moved all of my stuff either to the freezer or the garage and it didn't spoil. Thankfully I was able to get someone to come out and um, fix it. The frustrating thing is I had done a bunch of grocery shopping Sunday night. So I'm like, really? I I just spent a bunch of money on food and now my fridge goes out. Of course. That's yeah. Yeah. About the best you can do then is if you've got a ice machine is, you know, dump some ice in a cooler and move everything into that. But even, Mm -hmm. well, because it was so cold out, I moved it out to the garage towards the garage door and it stayed cold. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like this summer when my freezer, my deep freeze went right. Yeah. Everything was like 74 degrees in there. (laughs) Venison. And yeah, it was, that was gross. Yeah, that was that was a sad day when you told me about that. I was I was looking forward to uh, to eating more of that venison in there. So that's not the only thing. Uh, while I was completing my final for school, which by the way I'm done with my first semester of school, excited about that. My keyboard and mouse stopped working <laughs> because apparently, yes, apparently I had used the wrong power cable when setting things up and plugged it into my USB hub, and that slowly but definitely fried all of my peripherals. Um, I was without a keyboard until I went to the office yesterday and picked up my spare, which was in my locker there. The good news is I will be getting some new hardware soon. So that's exciting. And with that in mind, I have something keyboard related for IOTs. This week for IOTs, I have a smart keyboard called the DOS Keyboard 5Q. Now, this keyboard calls itself the f- world's first smart mechanical keyboard. Uh, the really cool thing is different keys on the board will change color based on a messaging system. So you can have certain keys change color based on the weather or your CPU activity or anything else that you want to receive notifications on your keyboard about. Like you have an email, so the five key lights up green. It's a neat concept. Um, So could you rig it so that like when your boss comes in the front door of the office and like hits the RFID sensor, that it makes the escape key flash? Yes. Yes, you could. Because somebody Um, will do that. Yeah, it, 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 that is actually very possible. Um, It, Claims to increase productivity through responsive feedback up to 45 times faster than a standard keyboard. It also claims to be the brightest RBG plus backlighting uh, with 16.8 M per key color. It's also built to last with Gamma Zulu mechanical switches and an anodized aluminum top panel. So it's, it's really well built. And it's also built for developers and hackers like Will with its own open RESTful API that you can use to program however you want and even connect it to other IoT devices. Though at $250, it's probably going to be on my list of nice-to-haves and not on my must-have keyboard list. Yeah, the price kind of does that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, it really does. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an iTunes review from Max. 
says highly useful and relevant, an effective mix of senior and junior developers. They discuss and reflect on real issues devs deal with or will have to deal with. Since one of them earns a living as a Delphi dev, I feel a little less alone. Um, I will clarify there. I do some Delphi. That's not my full time. Max also sent us a message on the website. It says, hello, I've submitted a very positive review some time ago. Didn't receive a CDP water bottle yet. How can I get one? Thanks, Max. P.S. By the way, I'm listening to your podcast all the time and talk about it with colleagues. So uh, we addressed this in the live chat, um, Max. But first off, I really want to say thanks for the glowing review. That's awesome. I'm jealous of both you and Will for getting to do Delphi. Pascal was one of my favorite classes in high school. But uh, we've been getting this section of the show from our comments and questions on places like Twitter. Or email or... Yeah. For a long time, we weren't getting any reviews. And so we kind of stopped looking at the iTunes reviews. I apologize. That's my fault. Um, so I hadn't looked at them in a while. We've got quite a few uh, that we're going to start pulling from. Also, big thanks for the follow-up. Will and I both respect the directness of your approach. Yeah. And it was really nice to get a prompt to go and look at iTunes because we didn't, you know, like the first thing I heard about iTunes reviews was you, I think yesterday saying that we had like 44 five-star yeah. reviews. And I'm like, I didn't know we had any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, it was, it was slow growth there for a while with like friends and family members. Uh, the first two or three, and um, then we started getting some other people, and it's it's really been growing. So thanks a lot for the for the reviews, guys. Um, we're gonna, like I said, we we were reading them, and then we went through a dry spell, and so uh, now that Max sent us the email and said, hey, check these out, we we've gone back and we're like, oh, the last few months we've been getting reviews and hadn't checked them because we, you know, you hit a dry spell and you stopped doing it. Yeah, I mean, the operating assumption should always be these are two rednecks in a basement. What will two rednecks in a basement forget? Everything but the beer. Right. <laughs> that, is, that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Max, send us another message with your contact information because we do have a complete developer water bottle just for you. Now, I do want to take just a moment to say since I have moved, it's a little bit more of a drive to get to the post office and with the holidays and then my speaking engagements, it may be a little bit before I get water bottles out to everyone. And I'm going to probably start doing them once a month, sending them out to everyone that, that sends me information. That said, if you have not received a water bottle and you sent me information uh, about three or four weeks ago, send me another email. I may have not gotten it. It might've hit my spam filter or something like that. So just let me know. Now, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, you can leave us a review in iTunes because we're checking it again or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. 
Code reviews are the process of having another developer or a group of developers read, question, and review code and changes before they're promoted to production. In some cases, before they even get to test, whether that's QA or UAT. They help to ensure the best possible code is running by having multiple people look at a problem. They bring in a lot of benefits to a development team and a company when implemented correctly. Research by SmartBear has shown that reviewing code significantly reduces the number of bugs that make it to production. Now, developers will have bugs in their code, but with reviews, those bugs are caught before they get to the consumer. They also improve security by identifying potential risks a lot sooner and fixing them while still in development. Reviews also allow for knowledge to be passed from more senior developers or shared among peers. And finally, they improve the code quality because developers are more likely to write readable code if they know it's going to be reviewed. The idea for this episode came from a talk on getting the most from code reviews at DevSpace that I attended. Um, A link to that will be in the show notes. In it was mentioned a blog post on the best practices of code reviews. And so that, along with a few other sources, formed the basis for this episode. And what we're going to do is we've, we've sort of combined those best practices into how to prepare for a code review. Um, either as the reviewer or the reviewee. And we're going to discuss ways to plan your time, how to create an environment for healthy code reviews, procedures for your team to develop, and then planning to be reviewed or to be the reviewer. So obviously, beginning with the end in mind, the first goal here is to plan your time wisely. So the first thing to remember is to not review more than about 400 lines of code at a time. You want to keep a reasonable sized chunk of work to look at instead of some massive corner of the system. The brain can only process so much information at a time. uh, And your percentage of defects that are found is inversely proportional to the amount of code being reviewed. So there's a lot of good reasons for that, too. Um, You know, one of them is if you have a team, not everybody reads the code at the same speed. So the people that read it fast are going to be sitting there bored and the people that read it slow are going to just be trying to keep up and neither of them is going to be focused on finding the problem if there is one. Right. Also, the more you have to read and process, the harder it is to see those nitpicky things because you're having to keep in mind all the other processes. So code reviews especially this, reminds me of high school because I took programming there. And out of my group of friends, I was probably the slowest typer, but I was the best code reviewer. So whenever we had to turn in programs for assignments, all of my friends would have me review theirs. So you're saying you're like super critical. (laughs) I I am am a pedantic nerd and I am proud of it. Yeah, I think that's a good use of your personality. (laughs) I'm saying that nicely, but yeah, I mean, that is like, that's a, uh, that's a personality trait that you, you definitely have. So you have a study here that said that uh, reviewing 200 to 400 lines of code will find about 70 to 90% of the bugs. And that, that actually kind of matches my experience as well, because the stuff, you know, most of your bugs are shallow bugs, you know, it's null reference errors, or what do you do if this data comes in and it's malformed, or 
the dates out of range, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you know, like major, you know, really deep bugs you're not going to find this way, but you're not going to find those, you know, through much other than testing and, you know, potentially at running in production sometimes. Right. I mean, there's, I unit test, we have QA and UAT process, and we still find stuff in production. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just, you're not going to catch everything, but the idea is to maximize your efficiency and your time because your time spent code reviewing is not time spent coding. Right. Right. So you're, you're not, if you're billing for time, it's not billable time. Right. Well, yeah, it, it could be, but it would be kind of dubious to do that if your client is, you know, is, is expecting you to bill based on coding versus producing things. Right. And the, the other side of that is overall, it reduces the time you spend in fixing bugs, which is, again, not billable time. Right. Also, setting this limit ensures that the code is written in divisible units. Right, because you don't you don't want to take a big chunk. Um, you know, again, we talked about the the amount of stuff people will pick up. But the other thing that happens is if a code review starts going sideways and people's you know egos start getting involved, you want that to be a small chunk so that it's done instead of it being this thing that drags out and eats up half the day and everybody's mad when they leave. I've been through a few of those where it's like, you know, two or three hour code reviews of some big chunk of code. And, you know, 15 minutes in, somebody said, yeah, this is what a crappy coder does. And it was somebody else in the room was the guy that wrote it. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. That was bit. special, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that that. No, no, that's that's something you got to you got to avoid doing. And if you're in any type of leadership, even just, you know, people look up to you, you discourage that kind of behavior. Yeah. At least in a code review and in front of everybody and, you know, not necessarily having all the information, which that's the other thing here too, right? Like if you're looking at a small chunk of code, you have all the information for that piece of code. Whereas you get past a certain point and you're, you're losing it. It's like you're getting up above the ground far enough. You don't see the trees anymore. Now, the uh, the next point going along with this is to keep your reviews between 60 and 90 minutes max. Focusing your attention for too long is going to reduce your ability to concentrate. You know, just like looking at too much code reduces your ability to find bugs and defects, spending too much time looking at code. This is why we have things like the Pomodoro technique for writing code. You know, your performance starts to drop as your concentration wanes from too much use. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, 60 to 90 minutes, you know, people have to go to the restroom, they have to eat, they have to take phone calls. There's other stuff going on and you're essentially trimming that thing down to where somebody can focus for that long, especially your senior devs and your management people. Like they're going to get pulled out for meetings and all kinds of other crap. They can't be in there half a day. So what is the most, where would you think the most efficient education style where like research is replied to education most likely college right right because that's where all the people doing the research are exactly so how long are col- most college classes about an hour with you know 45 minutes of actual useful content yeah so you you've got most classes are either 50 50 to 90 minutes range because like on your your two day a week classes they usually go longer or if they if they're longer than that they have breaks yeah and it might be that way for a lab or something too where you've got control over your time 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is there's a reason for that. Um, you know, one of the benefits of my job is I get to do a lot of training in the office, and the best instructors I've had took breaks every 50 minutes. Yeah. So we would do 50 minutes of training and then a 10 minute break. And just just that 10 minute break, you know, go to the bathroom, take care of stuff, gave us just enough to where I didn't feel drained at the end of the day. Yeah. The other thing too, is you're not getting interrupted by all the people that are having to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of a two hour session. And then they come back, they don't know where things are. You know, that's, it's just a better way to handle it. So like putting the previous points together, if you review less than 500 lines of code per hour, that's, this is about where you're going to be. Yeah. Slower paced reviews for limited amounts of time are the most effective. Yeah. This is one that I I've seen this an anti pattern on this where people will sit there and go, okay, you didn't use dependency injection here. Cool. Dude can now go fix his dependency injection problems, come back. When you go through the code exhaustively and show him all the places he did dependency injection, he, you know, where he didn't do it right, he doesn't have any more information. You just wasted time. Mm, I can see that, yeah. And you made him cranky because now it feels like an attack instead of, okay, here's the thing. You know, one of the, the best reviews I ever had was uh, with a consultant, and uh, he was helping us do get to the automated build process. And he looked through my code and was, he reviewed it so that we could use it as the test case. He just, he said, Hey, I I like what you're doing. I see where you're going with it. Would you like advice on how to make it better? And I was like, yes, please. I, you know, that attitude just turned me into like, yes, just pour in information. I will take it. You know? Yeah. I mean, you want to structure a code review such that you make people want to get the information from it and they want to get the feedback from it because it's useful to them and not damaging. Right. And we're going to talk more about that though. The other side of what you were talking about is that it can also be tempting to rush through a code review yeah, because you've got other things to do and you want to get back to coding yourself. Yeah. And I've had one or two of these, you know, and I know, uh, you know, management meant well, Right. Like I, I wrote some stuff up and, you know, got it, got it done. And then we go into the code review. They look at it and they go, this is really good. Ship it. And it's like, yeah, it was, it was pretty good code, but I mean, I, I know what my defect rate is. Okay. I, I, I push on doors that say pull. So, <laughs> you know, there is going to be some helpful feedback you can offer. There's no reason to rush through the thing. Like you're not making me more effective, which is not increasing the throughput of the team. That makes sense. So the next way to prepare that we're going to talk about is by creating an environment for healthy code reviews. And we've kind of already mentioned this, and we're going to hit on these points throughout this episode, as the whole point is to make the process easier. Knowing someone will be reviewing your code, it's going to make people work harder to write better code with fewer bugs. And this is called the ego effect. Your ego... It's going to provide good and bad feelings. So you're going to want to work harder to show how good you can be, but it's also going to take hits, hit points yeah. for for the negative things people find. And you want your own personal ego to be strong enough to withstand that or to be separated enough from your code so that you see people criticizing your code, not as criticizing you, but as pointing out ways to be better. 
And the thing is, this works with both mandatory reviews and sort of ad hoc, hey, will you take a look at this things? Right. I mean, developers... Egos definitely a. Um, I will say that that egos for developers is probably one of the biggest problem causers in you know a lot of environments. This is a way to kind of tip that in your favor instead of it being a negative. Now, um, just checking a small portion of the code is going to result in less bugs. Like if you do twenty to thirty percent and you review it, and they don't know which twenty to thirty percent, you don't know which twenty to thirty percent that's going to reduce the number of bugs in the overall solution. And it's going to make people follow uh, coding standards a lot better. Yeah. Cause they're going to be driven to double check their work. If there's a one in three chance that they're going to be reviewed. Right. And this is sort of the direction that I'm going. We're trying to reduce the time and give everybody more, more one-on-one time, but reduce the overall amount of time. So we're not going to review every little bit of code that you've written. We're going to pick something and go, all right, we're going to look at this class and go through it. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is it, it also helps people maintain the ego that yes, I'm professional, right? Because if I write, you know, let's say I write a couple thousand lines of code and my boss goes through it line by line and statement by statement, that is not a confidence inspiring exercise. That does not make me feel good about writing more stuff, right? Because I feel like I'm about to get fired. I like that attitude that you're a professional. I'm going to treat you as a professional. Yeah, it's funny. And it makes people act like professionals. It really does. Except for the ones that never would have anyway. Yeah. So next, you want to build a culture within your company that encourages code reviews. These can be stressful, especially when between team members. And it's difficult to have your code critiqued by your coworkers. Yep. And, you know, it doesn't really matter the relationship, right? Because a junior dev may see something in a senior dev's code that's awful. And they go, wait, this is, you know, there's SQL injection. That's a big one, right? Like if you've got older developers, you know, those of us that have been around a long time and we're not used to some of the newer tools and we didn't grow up in those. You know, you'll you'll find little stuff and it's like, hey, there's a SQL injection vulnerability and you go, okay, I fix it. You know, if you're you know calm about it, but it's easy to get angry over that. And it's also a place that a lot of subjective decisions come in. So you got people that are kind of a little too much into the architecture. And I say this is a software architect. There's people like that because it's it's very easy to build a system that's yes, it's perfect from an architectural perspective, but it does not work. And and so you're going to have friction there, you know, at best. It's even more stressful when it's management looking at the bugs in your code. And the thing with this is managers need to build a culture that supports learning and growth through reviews. Right. And this is, you know, um, this is one of those things like you have to set the ground rules as you're going in. Uh, that's one of the things I'm planning on doing with my team is just go and look. Here's what this is. Here's what this isn't. Yeah. And we're going to get into kind of how to do that in a little bit. The big thing here is to view bugs and mistakes as an opportunity for growth and a way to improve code. So like you see something wrong, you have an opportunity to show this person, okay, here's how you fix it. But a lot of times those mistakes come out of a place of not knowing something or not understanding something or, you know, not knowing a shortcut you know, in many cases or, you know, or another consideration, another concern, you know, like the system I work on has got all these little modules and I've been there for three and a half years and I don't, I find stuff every day that I don't know about. Well, you know, you really hit on it 
when you're talking about, you know, junior developers will learn from the more senior developers, but also the senior developers may have bad habits that they formed over years when doing what they were doing was the right thing to do. And now it's not. Well, I mean, you remember when I was teaching you, you showed me, there's two or three things you showed me in Visual Studio that have been there for a very long time, like 10 years. And I didn't know they were there because when I started, they weren't. And my workflow didn't include those. And it's worked up to this point. So, you know, it's very easy to miss that, even in a tool that literally you're looking at all day, every day. So, uh, yeah, that that's totally valid. The other thing to keep in mind here is that when you find a bug or an issue in a code review, it cannot be used as part of a performance review, period, because that kills the learning. Yeah, these should never be included in any type of individual or team performance reviews. If code review metrics are a basis for promotion or pay raises, developers are going to start gaming the system. Yeah, th- this points to something that irritates me a lot. And just, just mini rant time. You hire people that are intelligent and you go, I want you to do something that requires a lot of intelligence. And I'm going to pay you a lot of money to do the thing that requires a lot of intelligence. And then I'm going to set up a system to manage you that you can game with a room temperature IQ. Perfect. That's just not a good plan. I don't understand why people do that. Like, don't do this. You know, yes, you find bugs. You know, somebody continues producing bugs over time. Yes, maybe management needs to have a conversation, but that does not come out of the code review. That comes later. This is just a setup that you use to try to find problems before they happen, before they cost money, and let people get a feedback loop that is safe. If you remove this, you have completely killed the value of the code review. Now, given that, uh, the next point is that you should give constructive feedback on the code that you review. Um, you've got to avoid being really critical of the code written by others. You know, even well-experienced developers that are new at technology, they don't necessarily know everything. In fact, it's not really reasonable to expect them to. So you may not know all the circumstances around the code, and you have to be very, very careful about uh, criticism. Now, I will say this. You may also see code that was written by previous developers a while back who turned out to not be very good. And you have to somehow express that with your team and go, look, this this code is junk and here's why. But don't get confused between this code is junk and that developer was junk. You know, so that's a really good point. Yeah. So the constructive feedback thing. You know, in a in a code review situation, you know, that has to be maintained. Now, you may have interpersonal conversations with developers and go, okay, you know, this happened with this developer and that's why they were not a good choice. But in a, in a code review environment, it is very hard to manage the perception of that in such a way that you don't damage the team. Yeah. And the longer that you're at a place, the more of that information you will have. Yeah. yeah. A big thing, too, is to ask questions instead of making statements. Yeah. So you ask somebody why they did it this way. Like one of my coworkers saw some SQL code that I wrote and was like, you could have, why did you write it this way? Cause it was, it was actually iterative instead of set based, but I broke it apart. For one thing, it's not going to be under much load. It's a very, very small record set. And it was more valuable to break it into a number of small stored procedures that were called with a few loops instead of a single proc that wasn't because we actually will need those other ones later. And I know that's coming up. And so instead of making a statement, he was like, why did you do it this way? And then I explained, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. 
And it was a one-off. I would not do that normally in sequel. So he knew better than to think that it was, you know, a, you know, this is Will screwing up. What's he doing? It's like, okay, he's got a reason for it. And, and giving me that, you know, benefit of the doubt helps preserve that relationship, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is why you, you go that direction is because there may be things that you don't see or don't know about in the larger code base or in upcoming things, especially if this is not a part of the code base that you work in a lot. Right. The other thing is feedback should be given in person if possible. Yeah. So this means don't do this over email. Don't do this over text. It's probably not even a real good idea to do it on a screencast. Um, If you can avoid that. Now, if your team is remote and halfway across the world, that's not exactly possible. Yeah. You're not going to hop on a plane once a month to go to Bangalore to work out. (laughs) Code reviews. I mean, you might. You might have enough money to do that. I don't. You've got to be careful about your uh, intonation and your inflection. Because, you know, you can tell somebody something is crap in a way that doesn't bother them. You don't use the word crap. That's the first key. But, you know, you can say, hey, this is suboptimal for where we're trying to go with this. You know, it's kind of like the guy that asks you, you know, do you want to know how you can do it better? Right. That was that was huge for me because that that showed me he respected me as a developer and a professional and was offering to help me be better, but wasn't forcing his opinion on me. Right. And I know like I learned from him how to be a better mentor. Like with you and I, it's different because, you know, I specifically show you things and I tell you when I'm showing you, hey, I want your opinion on this. Yeah, well, that and we both kind of know how the other one does stuff, right? Like, if I see something that, you know, if you show me some code that you did and I say, oh, that code's nasty. Like, you're not going to take that as, oh, my code's really dirty. You know, it's messed up. I should feel bad about myself. I should go sit in the corner and eat wet cigarettes in the dark because my life is over. (laughs) You're going to go, oh, yeah, I solved a nasty problem. He, You know, that's positive. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I tend to say that. And unless you've got that kind of long-term rapport with somebody, you need to be in a situation where you can actively express that. Yeah, and other nonverbal cues tend to get lost as well. And we had a whole episode on nonverbal cues that you can go back and listen to. Finally, under this, if you do not find a bug, then you need to approve the code, even if you have suggested improvements. Yeah, and this is a tricky one, right? Because what will come up uh, on this, the first thing that a, a developer would jump out with is going to be, well, it doesn't. What if it doesn't meet the coding standards? Well, if it doesn't meet the coding standards, that's a bug. But also, start with the assumption that the developer is going to make the suggested changes. Yeah, you can only change that assumption after it's proven wrong. Um, second round reviews for suggested changes is not an effective use of time. So you got to trust your developer. Mm -hmm. So if you find a bug in their code, that's when you go, all right, go fix this bug, bring it back, and we will look at the code again. But if it's, you know, hey, maybe you should use this naming convention or, you know, this might be a better way of doing it. That doesn't need a second review to make sure that they did your suggestion. Yeah, I've worked at places that were really um, 
over the top with naming conventions. And like back in the day, there was there was a reason for it. It's because your IDE didn't give you much information. And so you named it based off of like the scope and the type. And, you know, like if it was a string, whether it was zero terminated or. Uh, oh, yeah, there was a reason Pascal for string, that. But yeah. But now, no. It, sorry, it just it doesn't matter enough. Now, it might be, hey, this is a little misleading, that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's not worth causing a huge problem over that because if you're especially if you're just starting with code reviews you've got other problems that you don't know you have this isn't one of them now the thing that will happen if you don't approve the code and are waiting on suggested improvements is that the developers are going to be less likely to submit small changes if they're going to be held up due to this process they have to go through so they'll tend to bundle them together and it will slow down your development process right And if you don't approve, give a reason for that lack of approval. So let's say you look at a code sample and you're like, you know what? I am not comfortable or authorized to approve this. I need to have someone else look at it. Let the developer know. This this makes sure that they understand, oh, hey, they didn't forget about me. Let them know what's going on. You keep those lines of communication open. Doing so may highlight areas just in the overall process of code reviews that need improving. Yeah, it's a meta improvement. Now, given all this stuff, you have to create good procedures for the team so that you can actually have an effective code review. You don't want it to be a squabble session. The process of a code review should be simple and lightweight. It should not be some big, long document. It's like, you know, here's three or four things here's what we're doing. Let's go. Um, Because otherwise people are going to be resistant to wanting to even do it at all. Now, there's a lot of different ways to review code uh, with peers and with lead developers. This can range from emails or documents exchanged to in-person conferences. I pretty much am always going to opt for the in-person because of what we mentioned before, but sometimes you're stuck. The best way to do this is in-person. And then the the optimal ways go down as you get further from in-person. So like you have in-person and then you have video and then you have voice and then you have chat and then you have email. Yeah. Or then you could like, you know, project the code on like a a drive-in theater screen and pull up in separate cars and then honk when you're angry at something. (laughs) I'm sure that'll be productive. I want to do that now. Yeah, I know. Somebody's, somebody's going to do that and they're going to send us a video and we're going to be like, oh man, we did it. Did it happen. <laughs> so reviews can be formal. One developer presenting to the group. It can also you know, be done the other way. But like if we're, if we're doing it formally, it is going to take longer to review less code. Your process tends to get in the way of the actual review with these more formal reviews. A lighter weight review tends to take less time And so you're able to cover more code in that given time as well. Now, before your reviews, you want to establish the purpose and goals of the code review as a team. So what are you trying to get out of this review? Yeah, and that's so that everybody's on the same page because it's very easy for this to become adversarial if you're not careful. And so if everybody's expecting, yeah, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to look over some code so that we can kind of spread the knowledge among the team. In other words, we're trying to get rid of knowledge silos. That is a better approach than going, oh yeah, we're going to find the problems in this person's code, even though that's exactly what you're doing. But if you say it the other way, it doesn't, it doesn't come across as badly and you'll actually be productive. 
Now, you will have some people that will bring their code in and say, here, find the problems in my code. Yeah. Because Will's kind of like that. (laughs) I am too. I'll show him code and be like, find the problems. Well, and by the time it's gotten to the review, uh, you know, by the time it's gotten to review on a lot of the stuff I write, I have looked at it for so long, I'm not able to see it. You know, it's kind of like that thing where you, you look at the same word over and over again enough and you look at it and it doesn't look like it's spelled right, even though it is. It's that. The reason that you want to establish these goals and purposes beforehand is so that when coming to a review, developers, reviewers, and managers know what to expect. Um, And they also need to know what to do with the results of the review. So after the review is over with, does that mean, hey, I've got to go fix my code and resubmit it? Does that mean, all right, I've got to go work on this and then it's going to go forward? Or does it move forward and then I go back and make some changes? Or does it mean that, hey, I need to train my team better about this one thing? This is something that everybody seems to be getting wrong. You know, because this is managerial feedback, too. This is a real good way to get that. Now, also, you want to determine how you will know that the code review has been effective. So you're going to need metrics on this. And a couple of metrics that I found doing this research were inspection rate. And this is the velocity um, that the review has performed or the lines of code over time. Another is the defect rate, which is the number of bugs found over time. And then the final one that I found to be very effective was defect density. And this is the average number of bugs per lines of code. So we we have three metrics here. You have time, you have the number of lines of code you cover, and then you have the number of bugs you found. And it's the metrics are based on those. And bear in mind what we said before about why this doesn't need to be part of the review process is because all three of those things can be gamed. That's why we said don't do that. Code reviews should be used for learning and spreading knowledge among the team. They're not necessarily really used for catching bugs, but you're going to find them. Uh, But that's not the point. Uh, Also, avoid using them to enforce styling rules unless that's become a big issue. Yeah. Or if you're just trying to get them in place and the team kind of wants that, you know, like you, you could have a review where you're like, oh, hey, we missed this one thing. You know, here's here's kind of how we want to handle that. And you discuss it with a team and explain why that's a good way to to bring that up to the surface. So the last procedure to build for your team that we're going to talk about in this episode is to come up with a way to deal with bugs and other issues that are found in the review. So at this point, you've made your review simple and light, have established your goals and purpose. And this is, all right, what do you do after the review? How do you handle things that are found in it? And you need to create a process for the developers to follow if bugs are found in their code. And I'm talking about this as if you are a manager, but even as a junior developer, bringing new ideas to the team, I I was able to influence it. I may not have had the final decision, but I could bring this, hey, we should do this and then let management chew on it. And a lot of times the team will just kind of organically come up with the way that they do stuff. A lot of teams are not overly structured. And it's like, ah, this seems like this worked pretty well. Let's all do this. And, yeah, and it's, it's a conversation that the team has. Right. It's almost like your uh, agile agreements stuff. Or your, is it agile agreements or Kanban agreements? Uh, ad, uh, well, Scrum does team agreements. 
And okay. I think in a lot Kanban is within the agile framework. So, yeah. And I mean, you still have to agree what mean, what done means. And it's that right, same kind of thing. Yeah. Also, you've, you need to encourage developers to not submit for review. If there are still known problems in the code for the most part, you, you know, because what you really should do is you should have another process off to the side to help them if they're struggling with code. Cause you don't want somebody struggling with code with the whole team looking. I mean, that's kind of, bad from a personnel perspective and is not very useful for the team most of the time. This is more of a place for your one-on-one or ad hoc reviews. And I really wouldn't call this a code review. Um, I did this today with our junior developer. He came to me, I'd helped him with some stuff yesterday and he sent me a message. He was like, Hey, the, the fix we put in, this is the, the issue I'm having. And I was like, Oh yeah, do this. And he wrote back to me. He's like, Wow, I never would have thought of that. I said, yeah, I had that problem about six months before you started. It took me two days to figure it out. But now that I know, <laughs> yeah, you get the benefit. And I think I sent you a message joking about uh, you know the junior developer getting the benefit of all of my pains. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's always the way it is, right? Like you know, we're all uh, sharing the benefit of Admiral Grace Hopper's suffering. Yeah, it's <laughs> so level, true. You know, <laughs> um, so that just as long as you remember that, it's okay. Now. Be lenient with this because it is a learning process, uh, especially early. If you're you know, introducing this to your workplace, people are not going to get this early on and it's going to take a minute. Also, have a procedure in place for what to do with suggestions or non-bug issues found, such as styling variances, things that don't exactly go against code standards, but maybe a variant that you're like, hey, you should probably go in and, and fix this. Yeah. Or the things that come up, they're like, oh, crap, is that in this release? Yeah. <laughs> like you need to have, you need to be prepared to handle that because it will come up at some point. Somebody will go, oh, wait, but we're not on that version of SQL yet. We're not going to be on that till the release six months from now. And you're trying to push this out. Like that's a, you've got to have a, a procedure to deal with that kind of stuff. So now we're going to talk about how to prepare to be reviewed or have your code reviewed. First off, comment your code before the review so it's easier to read and understand. Now, we have our opinions about comments, though at this level, they will guide the reviewer through the code. Uh, This is especially important if you're making changes to an existing code base because you need to note where you're making changes. Now, in newer or greenfield code, it's a little bit different. Use the comments to make it more readable. Yeah. And the other thing you need to fix too is stuff like variable naming, those kind of things where it is clear what's going on. Make sure that your code kind of can be read as a narrative if that's doable in the language that you're choosing. So like if you're in Perl, you're probably out of luck, but you know, the rest of us, (laughs) um, you got to do that. And I had this with a very complex math conversion that I did there are a ton of comments there, a lot more comments in that code than in most of my other code, just because what it's doing is so complicated. Uh, the other thing is that these comments can prevent unnecessary questions by explaining decisions or variances from standards. Uh, I do this even before we started doing code reviews. I would put those in there because I didn't want someone to come in six months later to add a feature or update my code and go, well, why did he choose to do this? Why, why didn't he do what we were doing back then? And it's, 
there's a reason. Here's the reason. Now you don't have to come pester me. Well, and the other thing, too, is people will see that and go, wait, that reason isn't valid. There's right? that, Because too. you could be making a bad assumption. And so, you know, having that right out front explicit gets it caught. Yeah. Instead of going, well, why did you do this? It's going to go, okay, I understand why you did this. Now let's have a conversation about that decision. Right. So either way, it's going to save you time. This also means making sure you're following set code standards. And as Will stated earlier, your variables and method names are descriptive. Use automated processes and code analyzers before submitting for review. So like if you've got JavaScript and you've got a linter, you go through there and you fix all the stuff that's going to kick out from that thing. Maybe some of it doesn't matter as much as others, but if your code is in a clean, readable style, that makes the code review process go more smoothly. It cuts down on misunderstandings, those kind of things. Uh, With it being a manual process, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be checked manually in code anyway, but the stuff that can be automated should be, so you're not wasting time. Uh, The whole point of this profession that we're in, by the way, is to use a machine to do the work of a human being. So you shouldn't be forgetting that when you are trying to do stuff as a human being with a machine. If it's an option to choose who your reviewer is, base that on what your goals are in having your code reviewed. Uh, So if your goal is to share knowledge or improve the skills of the team, then this is a time for a team code review. So I did this as a junior developer to teach the more senior developers who didn't have the experience in the newer technologies. Rather than saying, hey, you don't know this, let me show it to you, I would use the code review as a time to go, hey, check out this new technology that I implemented or I'm using here. This is how I solved this problem using this. And that way they got to look at it, they got to see it, and then question it without this junior developer going, you don't know what you're doing, let me show you how to do it. Yeah, come over here, old man. Let me show you how we do things in the new millennium. That doesn't work. No, no, that really doesn't. Um, And the other thing, too, is it's a great way to get buy-in on newer tech is you show them what you're doing and you ask for feedback, but they're seeing all the stuff there, including stuff that they could use. Now you've got somebody with a whole lot more leverage trying to get that tech in. Reviewing with a peer will allow you to reinforce your code standards and practices, as well as look for potential issues. Now, they may see things that you didn't coming from a different perspective. Right. And one of those perspectives, by the way, is stuff like unit testing. If you're in an environment that people don't do that, and you're trying to get coding standards in place where it is actually possible for people that want to unit test to do that, you know, you're going to have to get that perspective across to those developers. And this is this is where you do that, where it's not contentious. And like what we've done here, you know, just with this podcast, explaining stuff to other people requires a deeper understanding. It will make you acquire a deeper understanding as well. Yeah. Now, choosing a more senior developer to review your code can pretty much accomplish any of these goals. You know, you can get them to help you find bugs and grow your skill set or share their knowledge and skills. Or you can, as we talked earlier, share your knowledge and skills with them that they may not have. So that's sort of a a catch-all, but it doesn't get as deep into them. The final thing we're going to talk about is preparing to be the reviewer. Yeah. And so being prepared means actually knowing what you're going to do. So (laughs) have a checklist for the review so you don't forget stuff because 
uh, you know, I've done this before and you're like, okay, I'm managing these people. There's no way I'm going to forget this stuff. And you forget like the middle three points that you need to deal with. And you get all the way through the meeting. And then like a week later, you're like, wait, that don't do that. That that's really, it makes you look like you're not competent. Also, you'll likely find that people make the same mistakes on a regular basis. And the worst of these is leaving something out or forgetting it. Obviously, that is the point of a checklist in the review, but it also happens in a lot of other places. The checklist of things to look for in code is going to help prevent these common mistakes. Also, it'll help prevent them from making it to the code review because your developers will know what's on the checklist and they can go through it before they submit for the review. Yeah, that's actually very reasonable to have that. It's like, look, here's the criteria. Here's what we're going for. You know, that that cuts a lot of the fear out, too, if you if you do that. Next, plan the code review as soon as you're given the request. If you don't have scheduled reviews, you may not be able to review the code immediately. You may be working on something that is time sensitive or putting out fires. Um I've had that happen, especially if it's a large change, you may not have the time to sit and look at it. What you want to do is to at least scan through it and let the developer know that you're looking at it. Yeah, it should never, you should never get code and just drop it into a black hole, right? Like the developer needs to know that, yes, somebody is looking at it, you know, it it is being reviewed, maybe even some kind of a timeline uh, so that they know when it's going to get through. Now, the first pass through the code, try to understand the change. Don't react to the change, if that makes sense. Um, you can take some notes and yeah, write down totally any questions yeah, that you have, because that's going to help you as you go through it a second or even third time. And you, you may have some questions that when you go through it again, you go, oh, I see why you did that. And so you don't have to take up everyone's time with it. Right. And if you're reviewing it in an async fashion, like you're getting a document together, or you're getting an email together, be really careful about your emotional state in the early parts of it. So like if you're looking at this and you're going, oh, this code's crap. He always writes crap. Why does he write this crap? Why don't we fire him? I don't understand why they keep that joker around. You're not going to give a useful code review, right? Like you're you're getting your, your headspace wrong. And one thing about meeting with a group of people is that cuts a lot of that out because of the physical interaction. Like you can see what somebody else is doing. You can see their face getting red and you can, you can handle it, but you've got to take care of that yourself. If you're async and remote. Now schedule a time as soon as you're available to review the code. So when you get the request in, you may not be able to immediately look at it, but find in your schedule time to look at it, at least to give it a first pass and let the person know, Hey, I'm going to look at this at this time. I'll get with you after that to have the review. Also with this, give yourself a time limit on how long to spend reviewing the code. If it takes longer than your limit, then schedule more time later right? so that you look at it in chunks. Finally, check out the functionality by actually using the code or the application. Yeah, it's really difficult to read code um, you know, compared to writing it. And... Both are more difficult than running the code. I mean, that's why we write it (laughs) so that we can make the machine do it. It takes a really experienced senior developer to see runtime bugs in just code. I can see them a lot of times. I can't see all of them. You know, this was the thing that I was talking about earlier with high school. In the 
academic code we wrote back then, I was really good at seeing bugs in the code, reading it in that like procedural, very short. I mean, we're, we're talking less than a hundred lines of code kind of yeah. thing. I, I was really good at that. And uh, as a mid-level journeyman developer, I recognize, hey, you know, I can look through code and I can catch a lot of stuff, but the majority of things I am not going to catch until I run it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really good at catching things like threading issues and, you know, spotting it and going, okay, what are the sequence of events that will cause this to happen? You know, like, okay, I see there, you know, it's like the problem just jumps out at me and I'm like, okay, you know, here's, here's the sequence that would cause this to occur. And I don't know how I do that, except for the fact that I've literally face planted into that wall <laughs> for like 12 years straight. I'd know how I would screw it up and it's, I've screwed up every way that I can. Also playing with the app or the feature that's being built will allow you to make sure that the code is doing what it's expected to do. Uh, yeah. Really nice thing. Breakpoints. They can reveal a lot about how the code is running in a more complicated environment. And also having somebody that's in a hurry and just clicking fast. If you want to find multi-threaded errors in a uh, UI, that'll do it real easy. Oh, yeah. This will also show how the new code integrates with the existing application. Whereas just looking at the code itself may not be as obvious. On a similar note, use the same IDE or a similar one as the developer when you're reviewing the actual code. Yeah. And and the reason for this is that it makes things jump out at that developer. Like they'll see that in the review and they get that feedback and they can actually take it to where they came from. So guys, there are several ways to hold code reviews. They can be a formal process that developers have to go through to promote their code, or they can be an informal process to improve quality. They can be one-on-one -on -one with a peer or senior or in a group or the entire team. Uh, there's also several different goals you can have for your code reviews. You may be the reviewer on one day and the reviewed the next. Whatever your team or management decides to use, these will help you to make the best of the review for whichever side you sit on. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to hammer on a point that we kind of made in this uh, episode is that you need to understand the difference between things that are worthy of being reviewed and things that are worthy of being penalized. There's very few things in a corporate work environment that you legitimately should go, yeah, I'm going to penalize them for this. You know, I'm just going to drop the hammer on them. For the most part, if you set up a cooperative learning environment where people can learn from each other, that's going to work out better for teamwork. Most people are not really slackers to the degree that they're going to let their team down anyway. Use that. You know, use use love instead of hate, as it were. Uh, that's that's just generally a better way to run things, and it comes out in spades, especially in stuff like code reviews. So that's all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. 
you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.